Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, co-insurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. How are you doing over there? I'm doing great. It feels a little weird to be back having three shows a week, but I'm ready to go. I mean, what could be better than Salt Lake City, Potomac, and Beverly Hills? That is a dream lineup. That is, in the words of Yolanda Foster, the dream team. (laughs) I also can't believe we get the Salt Lake City premiere the same week we get a photo of Kathy Hilton and Rihanna at the Met Gala after party. I can't explain to you that Kathy Hilton just posting a casual photo of her and Rihanna sitting on a couch together the night of the Met Gala what that did to me. I just, our reaction, like, I don't even know what to equate it to. It was nothing short of irrational, and that's <laughs> fine. I, I'm, I'm more than comfortable to admit that because you want to know something? So is everybody else's. How many times did we get that picture sent to us? I posted it on Comments by Bravo with no comment. For any normal housewife, I would say meeting Rihanna would be a really big deal, especially getting a photo with her. It would have been a whole thing. Whereas for Kathy, that was just another Monday night. Yeah. she. I don't even think she understands how cool it is. And all of her castmates are like, oh my God. And you know how we feel about a Rihanna Housewives crossover. I have a full highlight of it on the page. This was just pretty much the epitome of what we could ask for. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we are going to start out with Salt Lake City. We're then going to do Potomac and then Beverly Hills. I think everybody knows this by now, but we try to put estimated timestamps where each section starts in the description. So if you're ever curious about that, just know you can always look in the description. Okay. Are you ready? Never been more ready. I'm going to give this Salt Lake City premiere a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. The intro alone, I know we kind of touched on it last week because the first couple minutes were released, but seeing it again and in context with the whole rest of the episode, it was so chilling. And to see Jen interacting with people, knowing what's about to come. Yeah, it was really something. And I also want to say that there's so much that happens just in those first like six or so minutes, you know, when everything's happening in the parking lot. And you see not only the shock of Jen initially, but the other cast members and then also the team because they have no idea. But I wanted to cite something that I saw on TikTok. Lauren Zima did an interview with Whitney, Heather, Lisa, and Meredith. And she was asking them about that moment. And Whitney made a comment like, 
one of my biggest regrets is turning off her mic when she asked me to. She was like, I obviously didn't know what was going on. All I saw was Jen look at me. And in that moment, she's like, I'm a girl's girl. And I just saw the sheer panic in her eyes. She was like, and so I would have done that to anyone. She's like, but now in retrospect, I really do wish that I hadn't done that because those few minutes really were critical. That's so interesting to hear her say that. I get it. But also in Whitney's defense and in her, like for herself, she had no idea what was going on. And she knows that. And I think the way Jen was acting, it seemed like there was a huge family emergency. I've heard, we didn't see it, but I've heard that she said something was wrong with Sharif and she had to go, something about the hospital, and really played it off like there was something else going on with her family. And that's why she had to leave, turn the mic off, and something more serious, way above the show, was going on. So, Something about seeing them, though, like this is so different than Erica. I know everyone keeps relating the two, and even Jen has posted memes about two of them, how they're going through things. But the difference is this goes down on camera, and we're not just seeing them read the article for the first time. We are seeing them find out on the bus with the rest of the world, and their friend just left the bus. Like Her seat is still warm, and they're figuring out what's going on. Well, that's why it's so crazy. By the way, just to your first point, I believe that Heather said in the same interview that they thought at the time that Sharif had internal bleeding, that he was in the hospital with internal bleeding, which again, that's why Whitney would have done the same thing 10 times over if she was in the situation and didn't know because it's very dire circumstances that someone asks you to do that. And I don't think your average person thinks, oh, she's about to be indicted by the Southern District of New York. Like, no, it's much more probable to think that her husband's in the hospital. So you respect her wishes. But to your second point, I mean, I think what makes this so crazy is that the cops show up like just minutes after she left. So in that very moment, it wasn't just like, what's going on? You also have this very ominous feeling of like, oh, wait a second. She knows she's fucked. I'm just so excited for when this episode drops because I hope it's completely unedited and in real time, almost the way that they did Monique and Candace's fight last season on Potomac where every moment was so important and they didn't want to infuse it with too much editing and music and cutting things out so that we could fully experience what the moment was like. And that is all I could hope for because I I just want a straight hour of whatever the footage is completely raw. Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't even know when that episode is going to come out, so I shouldn't make this claim, but I'm telling you right now, this is going to be one of those things where I think we're going to release the Bravo episode like on a Monday or Tuesday, because there's no way we are going to be able to wait until Friday. It's physically impossible. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so excited. But the season, regardless of Jen, the amazing thing about Salt Lake City is it's already strong. The storylines that are building between all the other women, even if they involve Jen, they don't involve this whole fraud arrest. It is strong enough without that, that if this hadn't happened, I still think we would have thought it was an amazing season and an amazing premiere. Oh, we totally would have. I mean, think about that reunion. Those were some of the most explosive parts of a reunion we've ever seen. It was. And that same energy is being carried over. We always say this in a premiere episode, it takes me a minute to recalibrate where everybody stands and almost create a web in my head of, Who's mad at each other? Who is sticking together? What was said at the reunion that now, all these months later, we're seeing the aftermath of? Because it's so fresh, obviously, when we watch the reunion. But to now see, okay, what's going on afterwards? It's like we're really back diving right into it. And to see really how Jen is putting a divide between Lisa and Meredith and what just everybody's feelings are about each other, plus what happened on the off season is it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, obviously we will get into the whole Lisa Meredith Jen thing a little bit later on, but 
God, that plot line, I appreciate it because it is so real. Like I genuinely believe this is exactly what's happening, but it's simultaneously really upsetting because I view Meredith and Lisa's friendships to be one of the most authentic we've seen across the board in all Housewives franchises. And so for Jen, where the relationship I do feel is pretty superficial to be drawing a wedge, it just kind of sucks, you know? It totally sucks. But what I keep hearing over and over in my head and what they even played back in this episode is when Heather is really trying to understand Lisa's point of view of like, why are you picking Jen over Meredith? And Lisa's like, well, it's not over Meredith. And that is only getting worse and worse as Jen continues to do things to hurt Meredith. I just can't understand. I get you can like Jen. It's fine if you want to support her. And when things go really wrong, you want to be a nice person. But to be so insistent on keeping their relationship alive and even trying to bring Meredith and Jen together, I just don't get it. Like It seems that Lisa should value Meredith's friendship so much more. And now that the the hits keep getting worse and worse of things that Jen is doing to Meredith. I just, I literally can't wrap my head around it. Listen, I obviously had that same thought and we will get into this later on and I'm sure as the season progresses, but do you remember last week in Beverly Hills when we were talking about how Erica and Sutton were kind of like just standoffish, but I guess quote relatively cordial and Crystal was saying, you know, this is how it's going to have to be. And Kyle was like, I don't think that we can all exist in a group dynamic in this way, remember? Yes. So there's a part of me that feels like if they weren't on this show, that there's no way that Lisa would, maybe she would maintain the friendship with Jen. There's no way she would ever try to get Meredith and Jen together. But I feel like she thinks we're in the beginning of season two. The solution can't just be, you know what? They can go their separate ways, which I understand from like being on a show angle. I also think what Lisa just isn't understanding is that this isn't some petty fight about something. It wasn't, he said, she said, you're not being a good friend to me. Meredith is taking this so deeply as she should because it's literally about her son and her family and things that are almost unforgivable in a lot of ways. So it's not just something you could be cordial about and sort of say, hi, how are you? And not like each other. She doesn't want to be in the same room or be associated with someone that's been treating her this way. Right. And like, you know what? I'll save it to the Lisa and Meredith conversation because I, I really do have a lot to say. Okay. Okay. And by the way, let me start this all by saying I still like Lisa. I really like Lisa. I love them. I just I just disagree with some of her choices. I love I honestly love this cast. Me too. Not like I love each person individually. They all have their shit, of course, but it's such a good cast. And the addition of Jenny is great. She's fucking phenomenal. I know we'll get to her in a few minutes. Wow. And her kids. No, her daughter. Is a star. <laughs> There's every once in a while when a child graces our screen and you can tell that they went to like the Melania Judice school of Bravo. And that's yep. kind of what's happening here. She, if there were an award given out every year to new kid comers that had, you know, similar qualities to Melania, it would be Gabriella Aiden and Jenny's daughter and a few others, but really she's right up there. I just can't wait to see more of her. So we're at Jen's house now. And correct me if I'm wrong, I know we all knew that she was renting the Shosh LA last year, but did she ever officially say it on the show? Or was this the first time that she said it was a lease? No, I think this is the first time she said it. Because if you remember last season, she was very much making it like this is our home. And I'm pretty sure she knew that going into the season, everyone knew the truth. And she just moved houses. She didn't sell it. The internet figured it out. And I think she had to own up to it. Not that it's a bad thing, but she very much made it seem like this is the home that I own in Salt Lake City. Yeah. I mean, listen, clearly or seemingly this allegedly, I guess I should say, the money used to rent it feels to be a little bit of like dirty money. That being said, beautiful home. 
beautiful, both of them. Yeah. Anyway, she comes in strong with this conversation with Lisa, basically saying that six months ago, she really thought that her and Sharif were going to get divorced. And like I said this last week, just from watching that little preview, and I will still maintain it this week. I have a lot of issues with Jen. However, I did find her to be very forthcoming and honest about the situation. And I mean, she really put all of the blame on herself. You know, she said like, he just had enough of my shit. It's so funny how in the same scene or in the same season, she can be so vulnerable, yet also so secretive about so much. Like, if we were watching this without knowing anything, we'd say, wow, Jen really puts it all out there. We know everything about her life. She's not afraid to expose her skeletons in the closet. Yet the biggest secret of all is a complete secret. So it's just so funny how she's vulnerable about her emotions, but shady about the rest of it. It's also just interesting to watch with the unique lens of knowing what's going to go down. So seeing her brag about the huge closet and how the movers have never seen so much clothing. And I mean, just going into this whole thing and also knowing that a lot of the things going on in her marriage maybe had to do with what was coming up. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, right? Like, I'm not equating the two, but in a way you can compare Erica and Sharif a little bit. I know it's very different. Just bear with me. The sense of like, what did he know and how much is this taking a toll on their marriage? Yeah. Everyone on Twitter was saying like, we got to give Sharif the Erica Girardi treatment in a way. What was your involvement? What did or didn't you know? Were you going to get divorced because of that? Or was there so much more trouble in your marriage? It was already a little bit rocky we saw last season, but did that add extra pressure knowing that all of these legal and financial things were either coming up or that they were struggling with them in this moment. Right. I mean, I don't want to obviously compare the two too much because it's a different conversation, but like I would say the biggest difference aside from Erica being a main housewife and Sharif, you know, being a side character husband is also the fact that Erica's extravagance in the way that she lived her life was so on display. Whereas in their relationship, Jen and Sharif, of course, he's part of this extravagant lifestyle because he lives there, but it really seemed to be focused on Jen. And so that was like the core difference. It, It almost felt like a slap in the face to the viewers with the Erica thing because we know how much she spends on glam. We don't know what Sharif does with his money. So true. It's just an interesting comparison. Yeah, totally. Anyway, so when she's talking to Lisa about this Meredith situation, you know, I will say that Lisa, I find, maintains a relatively similar stance with Jen that she do, as she does with Meredith. Yeah, she totally sticks to her story, which is hard to do because I feel like when someone's in front of you, it's easy just to lean in and kind of sway their way and say, you know, I'll always protect you, whatever. But she really stays pretty level-headed and in the middle. Oh, yeah. And I – because I, you know, I think that Lisa, in a lot of ways, is a straight shooter. She is. She totally is. This is kind of the start of, you know, Lisa's other perspective when she says in her confessional, like, I understand that my friendship with Jen will affect potentially my friendship with Meredith. She says, and I quote, but to me, what Jen did to Meredith is not much different than what Heather and Whitney did to me. They perpetuated and made up lies about me and my character. Meredith can choose to be around whoever she wants to be around, but is it hypocrisy? Yes, it is. I... Again, it took me a minute to like put all that together. Okay, what did they do to you and how does this relate to what is going on with Meredith? But when you really think about it, it does make a lot of sense. However, it's hard to compare because Meredith feels that Jen is attacking not only her but her son. And they later make this comparison of – or Whitney makes this comparison of if 
she had been talking shit about Lisa's sons and you continue to be friends with her, how do you think she would feel about that? And of course, the answer is not really well. Whereas what Whitney and Heather did to her was more about her and it didn't go beyond her. It didn't go into the family. So yes, of course, the comparison is there of like, how are you going to be friends with people who talk shit about your best friend? But the family element, I just think, is what sets it apart from the rest. I really do. And we know in Housewives 101, you don't touch the kids. I think so too. And I also think that like, if you're comparing the two, it's even more, quote, worse because Lisa has such a close relationship with Meredith's family and her kids. Like, I know in theory, it should be bad regardless if the kids are mentioned. But to me, it just feels a little bit more personal. Or I would expect, I guess I should say, I would expect it to be a little bit more personal given her relationship with the marks. Yeah, I just think that makes it even worse. Going after anyone's kids, regardless if you've ever even met them, is bad. But then for it also to be someone that you've spent time with from Jen, but also on Lisa's behalf of someone that I would think feels like a son or a nephew to her, it's even more upsetting. When Lisa says, I'm always here for you, just don't kill the person in the middle. And Jen replies, girl, you know I'll go to jail for you. I haven't gone to jail yet. <gasps> Chills. This is when when the producers are going through their footage, they must high five each other. Like I said before, watching with this in the back of our minds, we're grasping onto every word she says. If this was a different season or last season or a different situation, we never would have even blinked at that. It would have just been like a funny throwaway comment. I don't remember what it was from Beverly Hills and I should have, yes. but I can't. I don't know if it was when Erica was talking about Tom when they were in Tahoe. There was something that happened and we were like, this is the definition of eerie and very similar vibes. Yeah, I remember having the same conversation about Erica and it's just so good. And that's why having all this footage from before and not going into the season with this having happened on the off season is just, it's too good. Yeah. I mean, what are they going to do? Like, can I just ask you a serious question? Aside from the rest of these particular franchises, in terms of other franchises, how do you go up from here? Because the legal drama, not that I ever wish this happened on anyone, but if it's going to happen, the cameras may as well be rolling. And like, what is better than this in terms of entertainment value? I don't know, because it just feels so real. Like, how do we go back to caring about you brought sprinkle cookies, you know, like, or you said you didn't like my outfit, or you keep excluding me from dinners when there's like oh the fbi is pulling up at beauty lab and laser and the feds are after our friend while we're starting to go on a girl's trip for our show <laughs> like it just it just doesn't happen i know but you know as you're saying it i realize we're giving ourselves too much credit really because you know that when Teresa judice freaks out about the smallest little thing next season we are going to be eating that shit up of course we are. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I just want to watch the Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip and just literally watch them lay on the beach. I don't care. So you're right. We're not that sophisticated, but it's fun while it's lasting. Yeah. Okay. So Meredith and Seth are in this new house. Also beautiful. I mean, the views from these homes are spectacular. It's amazing. And they all just keep going skiing all day. Like they hop off the mountain and go over to have lunch. It's like when Julie and I were saying on Monday's episode, how New York was the backdrop to all the celebrity news happening and fashion week and whatever. That's how I feel about Salt Lake City. Aside from the religion and the Mormon church being kind of a backdrop, so is the actual location of Salt Lake City because it influences the activities that they do. It's so beautiful too. I do have to say, I know we're only on episode one, but I feel like the religion conversation is sort of fading to the back. However, they do bring it up. Like even when they're introducing Jenny, they have her explain her religion and her husband and their background 
with religion, which I feel like on other franchises, that's not really a thing unless, unless it's really important to them or it has something to do with the storyline. It just isn't usually part of like the introduction. Right. It's exactly. That's like one of the things that they mention. Yeah. So, you know, this relationship between Heather and Meredith, I really enjoy watching the evolution of. And as I'm witnessing it, I, let me put it like this. I genuinely like Heather probably in like my top six housewives of all time in terms of like somebody I feel like I could actually be friends with. And I trust her to be very genuine, like all those things across the board. So I personally don't believe that she is getting close with Meredith to spite Lisa. I don't feel that way. However, I could understand why Lisa would feel that way. It's just also interesting because at this point in time in the show, it seems like Heather and Jen aren't really getting along. Therefore, it allows her relationship with Meredith to flourish more. But I think in real time and as the season goes on, Heather really reconnects with Jen and is really there for her throughout this whole legal drama and battle. And as soon as that all goes down, it seems like they were spending more and more time together, which is kind of weird, I guess. And even the other day, she commented on some meme that was basically insinuating like she drinks the friendship Kool-Aid and she said, what can I say? I'm a sucker. Like she wants to defend Jen and keep their friendship alive. So I'm just curious to see how we're going to get there. Oh yeah. No, she has some sort of a soft spot. I don't know. I really, something we need to talk to her more about because I wonder if it's like really simply, you know, just a surface level thing of like, this is somebody that she was friends with and she wants to see it through, or if it's feeding like a deeper part of herself where she feels like when somebody wrongs me, I don't want to walk away. I need to like figure out why I go deeper. I need to get to a point where they don't, you know, there's so many psychological things that could be going on in terms of just like the root of why Jen has this impact on her. Cause she, to me is like a really solid person. I love her so much and that is not fading. But what I think Lisa probably wouldn't understand is let's say, When Heather goes back to being friends with Jen, I don't think that would make Meredith say, I can't be friends with you anymore. She would say, we're kind of new friends. You and Jen have always been close friends. It makes sense for you to go back to her and you can still say what you did to Meredith was wrong. But with Lisa, because they've been friends for 10 years, it has to do with her son, someone Lisa's close with as well. It just, it's like you can't compare the two. Oh, yes. That's a really good point. I, yes, I think Meredith would feel that her getting upset at Heather over that would be just simply irrational. Like Jen came before Meredith, <laughs> you know? And it just Yeah. And I just feel like I could hear Lisa asking, okay, so why is Heather allowed to be friends with Jen? And it's like, you just, it just is not, the rules are different. Yeah. I really like Lisa. I sometimes don't agree with the way that she comes to her conclusions. Yes. That's, that's a good way to put it. I just, I like her. You no, know, no. Say, I like, literally, I like every single person on this cast. I swear to God. Same. They're just, they're a good cast. Two quick side plots before we get into the intro to Jenny. Whitney's birthday party at her house. <laughs> the dropping of the cake was just, that's another one where the producers are like, yes. Comedic gold. And then Mary explaining how her and Robert Sr. weren't together for six months of quarantine. She starts talking to herself, which is kind of the catalyst for her starting a podcast, which like, <laughs> It's just great. I mean, you can't make this shit up. No, you can't. Mary really, everything about Mary, you cannot make this shit up. That clip that Donald Adler posted of her on Instagram Live and Wendy's just like, are you in your closet? We, The fans need to know. See, like that's the stuff I love when another housewife asks the hard-hitting questions because they are watching the show along with us. 
Yeah, and Sarah Paulson quizzing Lisa Rinna about things on Watch Happens Live. Inject that in my veins. So the intro to Jenny, this is a strong start right here. Oh, yeah. Not only have her and Lisa been friends for 10 plus years, they have the identical stories about meeting at their son's school. So this is not like a Mia coming in via Karen situation. These are like <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. I knew it. <laughs> Like, oh, like Karen like gives this wishy-washy story of like, yeah, like we met through friends and business and they're like, oh, hi, this is your husband. So nice to meet him. Whereas Lisa is waltzing right in the house saying, I'll have a Diet Coke, take my son downstairs and give him a chiropractor adjustment. This is like real shit. Yeah, this is real shit. Exactly. And we always prefer that. Like we know we can't always get it. We're not greedy, but if we can, we prefer it. Yes. Yeah. This isn't like some, another a good example to compare it to is this isn't like some Ramona Brashawn shit. Or Mm -hmm. even honestly, remember when Ebony was on the podcast and she said like, I didn't really know Leah that much before this. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I love when it's actually authentic. I'm pretty sure Heather Dubrow is bringing her actual friends onto OC too, which is like just perfect. It's perfect casting. Yeah. You know, Jenny's story was really remarkable when she's explaining being on the fishing boat at seven years old and being in the refugee camp and you know, how she got to Long Beach, California. It was, you hear these stories and we would have never known that about her. We would have never known her background. And so when somebody walks you through that in a way where it's just such a compelling story and then to hear her talk about it in real time to Lisa's children, I also think is really a special thing to witness. Yeah, it was very powerful and also like helps us to get to know her better and understand she didn't just appear in this big, beautiful house married to a doctor. Right. Like you would have never known her backstory, and especially when they put the photo of her as a child, you know? Yeah. And you never know about somebody's story until they tell you, and it's the truest. It's so true. So Meredith kind of starts it out also, you know, with just revealing that her father had passed away. And I remember when we spoke to her last year, it was like, pretty much immediately after, I think, or definitely around that time. And you could just feel, you know, the sadness in her voice, actually in her face, because remember we did it on, on Zoom. Yeah, actually. she was crying. She was crying. Yeah. And I, I I just feel for her. It's like, you think you're totally fine. I saw a tweet yesterday. It was like, the thing about grief is you think you're totally fine. And then all of a sudden you're just fucking choked up in a Walgreens. And I'm like, yes, that hits so yeah. hard. So I think it said like, it just randomly will punch you in the face. And I feel like that's what was happening on her podcast, but also when she started talking about it at this lunch. Yeah. And Heather, of course, can relate, as can Mary. Yeah. Anyway, so this kind of sparks the conversation of like, have you spoken to Lisa or Jen? Of course, she's spoken to Lisa, hasn't spoken to Jen. And this is when Heather is saying that Jen posting about her being a racist is one of the reasons that they haven't spoken, which I guess I, I, I'm sure I knew it happened. It just Jen's post so much shit that I think I forgot. Yeah, she reposted someone's story that said, Heather is lucky I couldn't travel to SLC for the reunion. I've seen firsthand how evil, racist, and a liar she is at the real Jen Shaw. And Jen restoried that on her story. Right, which like I agree with Heather when she says, and I quote, if you repost it, you not only agree, you're endorsing it and advertising it. Of course. I think she sees that Jen would say, I'm not the one who said that, but you reposting it to your story is just as much of a statement as if you had written it yourself. Totally. And then obviously in Meredith's confessional, this is when she's talking about like the Brooks element of it all, which we all knew. She uses for the first time the word homophobic, which do you remember? Did we ever say this on the podcast or we ended up cutting it out? The grinder thing? I don't remember. Well, whatever. I'm going to say it anyway, because I believe this is what she was talking about. And they showed the clip. When 
the the now famous scene of when Jen allegedly shows Brooks her vagina and she's saying grinder grinder what you and I were saying and I don't know if we ever said it on the podcast is like one of the reasons Brooks could have been so upset is because obviously grinder is a gay dating app and maybe that's what she was getting at making him really uncomfortable and maybe that's not something he was comfortable saying at the time we now know for Meredith which is the only reason I feel comfortable saying it we now know that you know, she has made comments about his sexuality, which as Meredith says, it's not something that he has outwardly said, even barely with her. So say what you want. Like you have to give this kid the same respect that you would give to any other person. And the problem is she keeps going. At this moment, I think when Meredith is filming this lunch and maybe the confessional, the only, I guess, comment or the one that stood out to her the most was someone writing, frankly, I don't understand the praise and hype because I see nothing more than a privileged twink, which is clearly the ending of a whole thing about why nobody likes Brooks. And Jen commented the 100 emoji to everything you said. Clearly, again, endorsing whatever this person wrote, even though she didn't write it, leaving a comment that says, I agree with everything you wrote in this paragraph is terrible. And then it continued to go on and on. I think we get to see more because this was really the height of when she was just going after Brooks and retweeting and liking things that had to do with him. But for her to be this upset about one thing and then to know how much more is coming, I mean, it, it never ended. No, it never ended. And I really, I, I'm sorry. I, I know I'm not a, a parent, so I can't really speak, but I just don't think that Meredith is being dramatic. I really don't. Um, I don't either, especially about such a sensitive issue about your son who, yes, he was on the show, but he didn't sign up for the show. He's not sitting at the tables with you. What right do you have to criticize him? Like, it just is so bizarre. And what Meredith says later also that I thought was the best point she could make that she said to Lisa was when I even made the insinuation of what if the tables were turned, Jen went ballistic. So Knowing how she would react if Meredith was going around liking really mean or like terrible tweets about her sons, knowing how she would react, how could she not be mad? Oh, totally. I mean, that's, you know, talk about hypocrisy. It's right there. I also think this is a little bit different, but do you remember last week when we were talking about the Wendy and Eddie rumor and we were saying how you know, Wendy was basically communicating like Eddie didn't sign up for this. And we were saying, you know, we wonder not just with her, but with multiple housewives, the sen- do they feel a sense of guilt, right? So when a storyline starts to involve their family, do they feel a sense of guilt that this is happening and now they're bringing them in? And so let's just be honest here. Based on season one, Brooks seemed like a very willing participant in the franchise in the sense of he was excited about Meredith doing it and he was happy to have a confessional and he liked it. That being said, Meredith is still the one that signed up. And so I just wonder in the thoughts that go on my mind, like in addition to Meredith feeling really upset and protective because it's her son, I wonder if she feels any ounce of guilt. I'm not saying she should. I just wonder if she does for like her very presence on the show, putting him in this situation. Yeah. And talk about him on social media and also get backlash just for him being him that's then fueled by a housewife kind of egging people on and giving them the right to speak this way but it also goes to our point of maybe he wouldn't have a successful clothing line he wouldn't have andy cohen wearing his brooks marks tracksuit on watch what happens live he wouldn't be front row at fashion week like there is always going to be a give and take and i'm happy that he seems secure in himself and with his family and he has his mom's support 100% that hopefully that will be okay with him. I mean, even when we spoke to him last season before this went down, he was having a hard time and learning as he went. So I don't know. I'm curious to see how this goes down. And truly, I don't think it's going to happen now, but I would 
love a Jen, Meredith, and Brooks sit down to really hash it out because, yes, he's a kid, but he's also like a grown young adult that could handle his own and really speak his mind to her if he was given the opportunity. Oh, I do sick shit for that. Sick shit. Sick. Yeah. Okay. The Barlow's going to the Marks for Shabbat dinner. (laughs) Brooks braiding a holla on TV is just, that's like, this is what we want. And I watched this episode, should you know, on Yum Kipper. I know I said that last, after we finished recording, I was like, I'm going to go watch it. I was like, no, I'm going to wait and right until we start recording like I normally do. And I'm so glad I did because I have Brooks braiding that holla really fresh in my mind. You mean Rosh Hashanah? No, I literally watched it today. Oh. <laughs> I'm talking- wow. I mean, <laughs> that's a whole, that's the best way to spend the holiday. I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, you know. The thing is, like, there's no awkwardness between them because the families are so close. And that's why I think, like, they can have this sit down and it can be heated, but it's never an awkward exchange. Again, actually seeing a real genuine relationship that the families walk in and can hang out with each other, it adds more sadness to me that Lisa and Meredith are fighting and that Lisa is kind of prioritizing her friendship with Jen and Meredith so similarly. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm a little bit confused by it. I really am. And I think my I personally am choosing in this moment to believe the point from earlier about like if this wasn't a show, it would not be going down like this. You know, Lisa recognizes that she needs to have some sort of a connection to get Jen. She can't fully ice her out and then expect for there to be this group dynamic. But yeah, it's a real conflict, clearly, and they're talking about it openly. I appreciate that Lisa's overarching like theme is like, listen. I love you and like that's my priority here. So I I do believe that that's real. I know and like when they're sitting there alone, I think Meredith hears that and internalizes it, but then when they go back out in the world and she sees Lisa hanging out with Jen, all of that goes away because there she is hanging out with Jen. And again, to your point what you just said before, that all could be true. Like Lisa could understand that for the show and the dynamics, she has to stay friends with Jen. And maybe she does really like her. I think she does. According to the last reunion, she just has some love for her. But all of that is choosing the show over Meredith, which is not a good thing. No, I know. You're right. You're right. You're right. (laughs) You're right. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see how this plays out. I just, it's hard when you like everyone involved and I don't, no part of me is like against Lisa. I'm like, yeah, let's watch this play out. I don't know if I made this clear earlier. I can't say that I disagree with Lisa's frustration towards Meredith about the Whitney and Heather thing because they really did make very clear character assassinations. Like that actually did happen. So I understand her frustration. I guess for me, I just can't equate the two. Right. That's the problem. If nothing else was going on on the opposite end, I would say, okay, that's a valid reason to be upset with Meredith, 100%. But to know that you're doing something that is the same, if not worse, and not seeing it as a problem or not wanting to really do anything about it. I I get why Meredith's like, no, forget it. Like mine is the lesser of two evils here. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. I feel like that's kind of where the episode ended. Yeah. It's going to be a really good season. I feel it. I'm so passionate about these women and I'm into all of the plot lines. Like none of it is boring to me aside from even even aside from Jen's legal things, like I said before, I care so much about their actual dynamics of the group. It's also because they're all really good at their confessionals. Like every confessional is interesting, even if they're talking about bullshit. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Let's go to Potomac, but that was really fun. I feel like makeup in general and specifically a daily makeup routine is so personal and that 
we've all kind of gotten down to a science, what works for us, what we need before we leave the house, like where do we feel our most comfortable? And for me on a daily basis, I wear really, really minimal makeup. I actually think I feel the most comfortable with the least amount of makeup, but my two Holy Grail products always have been, I think always will be are mascara and lip gloss, maybe a little highlight on the inner corner if I'm feeling crazy. But honestly, whether you are fresh face, full glam, wherever you fall, you have probably seen Thrive Cosmetics viral tubing mascara. It's the one in that turquoise tube that you see all over social media. So Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, high-performance and trademark formulas, and uncompromising standards. They have a lot of great products, but the one I want to focus on is the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. First of all, it lasts all day without clumping, smudging, or flaking, which I'm telling you right now, I have a zero-tolerance policy for flaking with my mascara. Like, I'm just not trying to put you on my lashes if you're going to flake. And they have a flake-free tubing formula that dramatically lengthens and defines your lashes from root to tip. So it kind of looks like lash extensions without the damaging glue or salon prices. Also super easy removal, slides right off with warm water and a washcloth, no soap required. And it has nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's just like very much worth the hype. I had seen it a lot. And once I tried it, I was like, oh, okay, this is why I see it everywhere. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 20% off your first order. Okay, we are back at Robin's birthday, short-lived, but we're here and we are coming in hot because we basically ended with the Candace to Ashley comment. It was a short-lived birthday party where a lot of things happened. Yeah, and you know, the thing about this is that like, I feel Candace caught herself right after she kind of exploded on Ashley and was like, you know what? I apologize for that. Like, I don't know if that was because she would have regardless, or it's because she knows that in the court of public opinion, as it applies to Bravo, like that wasn't going to fly. She did correct it. Ashley wasn't quick to accept her apology, but it was kind of crazy how it went from like, I'm going to shoot every insult I have at you to like, you know what? I crossed the line and I apologize for that. I think once she heard herself back of what she said and realized she got caught in the heat of the moment, she realized that she was just making things worse and that they both agree that they just don't like each other. And we see that later on. I mean, truly my favorite moment of this episode and probably one of the best things ever was when Candace is talking about all of them being invited to do the music video shoot. And she says, and not Ashley, she's not invited. And Ashley's like, yeah, yeah, no, we give each other space. Like, Basically, we agree to disagree and we don't like each other. And I loved it. I wish more people would do that. And I felt like we would never get that from another city. And that's why these women are so superior because they're so honest and they're not afraid to like take it or take it personally. Yeah, all of them. But specifically, I mean, specifically Ashley and Candace and probably specifically Ashley. Yeah, it's such an Ashley thing. It's such an Ashley thing. She is like the most transparent. Oh, I love her so much. I really, she's one of my favorite housewives. A lot of people don't though, you know, like I, I see that on, on Instagram and I, I mean, I I get it. Like whatever your opinion is, I respect it, but I'm confused because to me, I feel like she has so many elements of what we consider to be a phenomenal housewife aside from the fact that she clearly admires Michael to a certain extent to be married to him. But you know what? That's her prerogative, not mine. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Michael Darby drags her down a couple points and She does things, of course, that I don't agree with, but as a housewife, I think she's so fun to watch. And 
is vulnerable and shady and is not afraid to fight and also not afraid to drive all the way three hours to a girl's trip, drop a bomb, start a fire, and then go home to tuck her kids into bed. And that's what we need. That's what we need. Yeah. I cannot get over Karen filming the Surrey County commercial in Potomac. Like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Again, just something only Karen has to have a little weird spin on everything. She clarified on Instagram that, oh, they were just doing like a test trial recording and that she was just practicing, I think, and that they really did film the real one. But even so, she just cracks me up every time. She cracks me up. She's so good. (laughs) You know what? I'll tell you one thing. I Obviously, how would I know Surrey County? I don't know counties in other states typically. And I feel very familiar with it. So she did her job. Yes, she did. I'd love to visit and try their peanuts. (laughs) Are you and I going to... That's like something... If we were people who like like we're quote influencers or like did anything other than the podcast in terms of like showing ourselves, we could do a hilarious, somebody should take this idea. Somebody should do like a tour just across the U S of all of the Bravo spots, you know? Yeah. Wow. That would be fun. That would be fun. Totally. Anyway. So when Giselle's at the house with her kids, here's the thing about Giselle. Do we say in a lot of settings, she lacks transparency and she'll talk about anybody else but herself. Yes. However, I feel that with her children, she gives us really vulnerable content. Yes, same. And I also think she has such an open relationship with her kids that she will talk about anything with her life with them and also ask them questions. Whether they answer them or not is up for debate, but it's such a different Giselle than we see with the other women. You're so right. Yeah. And and she you know, tells her kids she doesn't really want to get married again. And I loved when she was saying her message to them of like, I want you guys to end up in relationships where you're equal and you're happy and you're independent and you learn from your mistakes and also my mistakes. And like, as much as I feel like last episode, I talked about how I think her view of relationships or her view of heterosexual relationships as it applies to men is potentially a little bit flawed. I can appreciate that she doesn't carry on that same logic when talking to her kids about it. Yes. Like she's not pulling some of the bullshit stuff that she was saying on the podcast. Like all men cheat and that's just the reality of your life. Like she has a whole different tune when she's talking to her daughters and realizes if she says things, you know, when they're at a young, impressionable age, given what they've seen go down in their parents' relationship, hopefully they'll do differently and can be more independent. Totally, totally. Okay, this next scene with Wendy and Eddie talking to their kids outside, I texted you because I watched it before you, and I was like, I think this, those few moments of their son asking them questions was one of the most impactful few minutes I personally feel I've ever seen in Housewives. I so agree with you, and when I watched it, I felt that it was short, like a very short scene, but just seeing the way that they spoke about it, and also their son being just the smartest, cutest little thing ever, it was amazing, and I think a lot of people will either learn from that scene or really relate to that scene. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if I can necessarily imagine a more intimate moment with your children to share. And I think that like them choosing to do so is really brave because these are the conversations that it's not unique to them. You know, like it's fucking terrible. And I hate that this is the reality, but the unfortunate reality is that black families across America and across the world have these conversations with their children. And as, and she put it beautifully when she said, I think it's unfair that black parents have to break their children's innocence to prepare them for the world that they live in. Like as the, the two things that are simultaneous here, which are terrible is that that's one of the, to me, 
most heartbreaking realities. And at the same time, it's not specific to them. And like, we don't really get to witness these conversations. We get to hear a lot of times parents talk about the fact that they've told their children, but to watch their innocent child asking questions rooted in just curiosity and, you know, having to ponder fear simply for his skin color, that is really deep. And for them to be able to witness it, I, it it broke my heart, yet I also felt it was so important. It was. And the way that Wendy had to kind of explain the transition of she's been commentating on the the real reality and real life news and that her kids are hearing about it and this was a good moment to have that conversation. It just, it all made so much sense. And to know that this is really what people have to do and for us to get to see it when most, you know, most times it's probably a really private thing. Just, it was great. It was, it was impactful. It was moving and I hope we get to hear more about that, honestly, from her and her choice to share it. Yeah, no, I totally, I respect, you know, however much of that she wants to share it. And I think, listen, knowing Wendy, it was a very conscious choice because she wants this to, you know, be casted to a broader audience because she knows these conversations need to be seen. And I just like, I fucking applaud it beyond. I can't even tell you. I, that was a, yeah, it was something. It really was something. We all get bogged down with the mundane tasks of life, especially this time of year. But isn't it time you take a break from your normal, boring routine? Don't just sit on the sidelines and watch life go by. Get in the game with the bold tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. You can be having a blast anywhere. Having a blast at work, having a blast in traffic, having a blast while you file your taxes. No, really, we mean it when we say anywhere. With Baja Blast now in stores everywhere, you can be having a blast whenever and wherever you are all year long. So what are you waiting for? Pick up an ice cold Baja Blast today at a store near you. And for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast in stores and at participating Taco Bell locations, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. This swag is available for a limited time only, so don't wait. Grab a Baja Blast and start having a blast right away. No purchase necessary, open to U.S. residents 18 or older, subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com. Ends June 15, 2024, void where prohibited. The lunch with Karen and Ashley, I feel like Ashley's role in terms of Karen and Giselle is kind of unique because we don't often see somebody who I genuinely feel like maybe it's a little bit different, but I I don't necessarily look at Ashley and think that she has a major allegiance to one or the other. Like I do kind of feel like she's fully in the middle. I'm such a visual learner. So having them put up the Venn diagram and her make that comparison was so helpful for my brain. And it kind of made sense. She wants them, of course, to get along for her own good because she really cares about Karen. She's always had kind of like a loving mother-daughter, big sister relationship with Karen. And with Giselle, it's like, she's Giselle. I don't know. And I think their allegiances always are shifting, but the fact that Ashley's in such a good place with both of them at this moment, she's like, come on, let's bring the peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And two things from here. One, the biggest takeaway from the scene is that Karen is down for a private conversation, so we have that. But second of all, remember how at the end of last episode I was saying that, you know, Candace like body shamed Ashley and everybody, justifiably so, like came down on her. However, I think I referenced that, you know, some of those tweets that I saw that were like, why are we so quick to call out Candace, but not Karen, for example? Perfect example. I know she didn't say it directly to Giselle, but Karen said verbatim her fat vagina. And I don't feel anybody called her out for that. I think everybody appreciated it as part of like her comedic timing, which I'm not saying is bad, but I'm saying 
it should be the same energy, no? Yeah. Karen's always talking about Giselle's vagina. It's like a lot of vagina from Giselle. I mean, it's from Karen. Like, yeah. It's just like, how do you know? Yeah. Like, how, <laughs> who told you that? Right. But I also appreciate Ashley being upfront with Karen. Like, it's not going to go down as a civilized sit down where you both hug and kiss and say you're sorry for everything that's happened. I'm actually surprised at what did even go down. But Giselle is so stubborn in that way and she would never give in. Whereas Karen, I think, is a little bit softer and will say, okay, you know, I'm willing to sit down for the good of the group and because I don't really care that much. Right, right. Also, I noticed for some reason, this is not in the outline, but I want to mention it before we go to the next thing. When Robin is meeting with that life coach and you know she's kind of talking just about where she's at in her life and she says the one thing, we have been wondering like this entire season if she is feeling similar frustration to Juan in the sense of like wishing that he would heart more on her positive attributes instead of really doubling down on her negatives. And not only do we find out that she does wish that, but also we find out that she has not said anything to him about it. So like, obviously I am happy for this meeting because I think that it's, she's taking a real step to like help her get better. Yet also from like me being curious, I'm glad that we found out where she stands with the wand thing. Yeah, I am too, because it's clearly such like a big part of her life. And we've only really seen her talk about it with Juan or with Giselle, who's just kind of giving her own two cents on what she sees from her perspective. Yeah. Isn't it so great when you like can literally feel the vicarious, I don't know if liberation is the word of when somebody is talking to someone who's just there to listen and like not judge. Yes. Especially, I know she loves Giselle, but especially coming off a conversation with Giselle who does pretty much the opposite, it must be like, wow, this is very nice. (laughs) This is what it's like. Oh. Yeah. Okay, this goddess lunch. I love a themed lunch in the middle of a park. Can I tell you similar vibes? Do you want to guess? Similar vibes. To another, everybody else think about it as I'm saying this, to another themed lunch type thing that happened on another show. I don't know. When Madison hosted that dinner or that lunch on the beach on Southern Charm. Oh, yeah, that's a good comparison. Just honestly, anytime they're on floor pillows, they're always on floor pillows. I love the floor pillow. Julie does not like a floor pillow, let me tell yeah, you. Julie, Julie Scoliosis does not do well with the floor no, pillow. No, no. Don't invite her to a goddess luncheon where you have to sit on the floor. No. She's <laughs> literally – no, like actually she can't walk after. <laughs> okay. You're right. It starts out very strong with the music video comment when Ashley's like, you know what? We respect each other's space. That was so true what you said earlier of like, can't more people do this? I loved it. I loved it because – Giselle, of course, is like, wait, everyone's invited, even Ashley? And she's like, no, 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 not Ashley. Like, we know it's fine. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we agree. And that's the thing is in an alternate universe, Candace and Ashley have so much of the same energy where they're just willing to accept shit like that and be like, yeah, no, fuck that. Like, we're not friends. That they would be friends. When they flash back to the scene at Candace's mom's house, I forgot how much enjoyment Ashley was getting from riling up Candace. Yep. And when you see that Candace like hits the table, I don't know if she does it with her fist or with a knife, and Ashley's first response is like, hold on, don't mess up your mama's table. Like that was, oh my God, talk about instigation. The problem is as much as they are alike in the way they handle things, they're also alike in the way that they fight. So it just keeps escalating and they both are like, almost really good at throwing jabs at each other that it's like a level fight you know like they're they are equals when it comes to fighting and 
to arguing about things. So it's like, hey, you've met your match. And that's why nothing has ever been resolved. And every time that they even begin to bicker, it turns into a big explosion. Exactly. So Mia does kind of like a Lisa Rinna thing in terms of wanting to give the group an activity, you know? Oh, yeah. That's obviously going to stir shit up. Like, why can't they ever just play like broken telephone? <laughs> or like, <laughs> I honestly just want to download heads up on their phones and say like, okay, you guys should guess all the celebrities. <laughs> like that will never cause any drama. But at the same time, I don't want to watch them do that. I want to watch Giselle have to give Karen a compliment. Okay. Hit me with the first one of these you want to talk about because obviously you don't have to go through every single one. I want to talk about Ashley and Candace giving each other compliments because, again, they did it. They did the assignment. And even Candace in her confessional is like, I really had to dig for a compliment. But in the moment, she played the game and she didn't make it a thing. Right. And like you could have been really petty with this one. If you wanted to, you could get real petty with it. And they didn't. And especially to compliment the two things in each other's lives that are perhaps the biggest deal right now, like obviously for Ashley – her motherhood journey, and for Candace, her singing career. Like, those are the things that are taking up the most focus. So, aside from just being complimentary, it was also like momentarily validating, even if it was coming from a place that you don't respect. Yeah. I also liked Wendy's confessional, where we kind of get a look in her head about when Robin said she loves her passion for her family. And she's like, okay, but you are kind of attacking my family. And knowing that that she was just smiling and accepting the compliment at the table. But what she was really thinking was like, hmm, how ironic. That was that was a good one. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I'm not saying that her and Giselle aren't going to have words later on, but this was not the time when she wanted to reignite that because it was relatively like calm at the end of last episode in terms of her and Giselle. Right. Oh, Giselle and Karen. Of course, Giselle is going to say, I have nothing nice to say about Karen. Like if anyone at the table is going to pull that, Of course, it's going to be Giselle about Karen. Just of course. So in terms of Giselle and Wendy, this is kind of when Giselle says, like, the only thing I'll apologize for is that I didn't go directly to you first. But as far as this narrative that, like, I'm out here trying to destroy families, that's not me. That's Karen. So Wait, this is her talking to Wendy. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, like, the link here that, like, okay, I'll put it like this. Not that she couldn't have come directly for Karen, and she did a second ago by saying she had nothing nice to say. However, being able to like pseudo-apologize to Wendy was a great catalyst for being able to additionally shit on Karen. Yeah, Giselle loves an apology with a dig. She loves that combo. Like that's like the signature Giselle drink is like apology with a dig, a twist, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is when Candace like brings up the other women that Jamal was apparently cheating with. And this is when Giselle says it wasn't new information to her. And Candace is saying, so why didn't you say that? And Giselle's response is that she wanted Karen to show her ass. Like I at first was like, oh, okay. You know, she, this was, that's a good point. That was a smart move of her. But then I'm like, wait a minute. I don't believe that for one second. She's just trying to now change the narrative to make everyone else feel like they were kind of dumb and naive and she knew all along and she didn't want to say it like at the reunion and stuff. But in that moment, there's no way she would have said, I've known about this for a month. Like your information is not new and check yourself goodbye. There's just no way. And that's a classic Giselle thing too. Okay. So you think 100% she didn't know or at least didn't know to the full extent. I mean, I don't I don't know if she didn't know at all, but I think her trying to say 
yep, haha, jokes on you. I've, I knew all along and everything you were saying was stuff I already knew. She would have wanted them to look bad in the moment. She wouldn't wait until now to just pull it out of nowhere. Maybe she had some idea. Maybe there was some arrangement. I I don't know. But I just think her whole argument and her whole like point of saying, oh, please, I knew all, all along and that she's just randomly bringing it up now is just very unlikely. Yeah. I think that there's a middle ground because I don't think that her look at the reunion was one of shock necessarily. I think it was one of shock that this was going down with the like intensity that it was. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't think it's the craziest thing that there was some middle ground. Maybe I sound really naive, but that's just my thought. No, I don't think so. And I honestly don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. And this was a really big moment because it takes us a while to get there. But Karen eventually directly apologizes to Giselle for saying, for hurting your children and then for hurting you. This is what I'm saying. Karen wants to be strong and she always, you know, puts up a really good fight. But at the end of the day, she's willing to fold. And I appreciate that because someone's got to and it's never going to be Giselle. Right. And again, like when you bring up the kid card, which I know Karen tried to do in saying that like Giselle saying that comment in her confessional hurt Karen's kids. Like I I just, I'm calling bullshit on that one. But like, I do believe that Giselle was sincere in saying that the way that the attack on Jamal went down definitely didn't serve her kids well. Like that was the right thing. Karen should have apologized for that, I think. Yeah. Again, I don't think you compare the two because I still think that Karen digging up this four-year-old clip of Giselle making like a kind of shady comment that Ray won't be alive when her face looks bad wasn't her wishing death on her husband. And then, by the way, I don't know at what point in the episode she said this, but she said something like, oh yeah, Ray and Karen are going to be long gone before I'm apologizing. I'm like, Giselle, not again. Yeah. See, that's the thing. She doesn't really learn her lesson. Yeah, she doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It's just like- <laughs> She literally just had the biggest realization. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's what makes a good housewife. I don't know. Who does yeah. That? And I think maybe she just knows that that specifically pushes Karen's buttons and she- feels like it's not harmful, which I don't really think it is either. Yeah, maybe it's not the best thing to hear, like when you're dead, not great, but also like she's kidding. It's sort of a figure of speech. It doesn't feel like it needs this prolonged thing all these years later. No, I agree. I agree. I just love this. I just, every time I watch these episodes, I kick myself that when we were at that Bravo event like two years ago and it was Sonia, Dorinda and Giselle, and we were like literally alone in the room with them that I wasn't watching Potomac at the time. Like I, I, I I was taken by Giselle because like I've said this a million times in person, she was one of the most beautiful humans I've ever seen in my life. And I was so like enthralled by her presence because she's very captivating, but I didn't get who she was in terms of the franchise. Like what was wrong with me that it took me so long to watch? I don't know. I was working at a different job. So next time we have, we have another time. Yeah. Okay, so if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, there are two things you probably know about me. The first is that I am a diehard OG Skims fan. Like there have literally been times where we've had to pause a recording because a certain product dropped that I needed to buy. And second of all, you know, historically, I kind of just never wear a bra. So what we're talking about here is kind of merging those two things because listen, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm never gonna be a daily bra wear. It's just not in the cars for me, never has been, never will be. However, there's recently been more events that I've kind of had a lot of weddings and just there's sometimes you got to wear a bra. And when I tell you, Skims is changing the game for me because 
That same comfort that I talk about with the underwear or the loungewear, they did that with the bras. And recently in the past month, I've worn the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra and the No Show Balconette bra. I had to wear that one to a wedding under a dress. And like, it was the first time in my life where number one, I wasn't miserable. And second of all, I didn't come home and just like immediately want to take it off, which I'm telling you is a foreign concept for me. They're just so comfortable. It's like, I really felt like I was wearing nothing. I'm, I'm such a fan of everything that they make. So I guess it makes total sense that I love the bras, but like, I'm telling you, you will have the same experience. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. Plus get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. Definitely do that. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. I actually want to start out this Beverly Hills episode with something that Bethany said on her podcast this week because it's very rare, I feel like, that we're getting firsthand insight from people that, quote, knew all along. This was crazy. So Bethany went on her podcast and basically just told the story of how she ever first heard about Tom Girardi, her ex-fiance, Dennis, who has since passed away, used to kind of work with him. Bethany would travel with Dennis and go to these lawyer conferences and sort of found out that it was a known thing that Tom owed everybody money. And when she started watching a little bit of Housewives and seeing Erica bragging about her $50,000 a month glam and the private planes, putting that on TV, she was like, wait a minute, the dots are not connecting here. Yeah. I wonder who else had that same thought process. Like, There is just no way that Bethany's the only one. Well, that's the thing. Yes, of course. She did, she said she didn't know about all the victims, like these actual, this terrible one incident that is, I think, the forefront of the story, but that there were so many other little things and lawyers that were just owed so much money. So then to turn on the TV and see his wife bragging about how much she spends and sort of the lifestyle she lives, I think probably a lot of lawyers and people in the industry who she says this was common knowledge how they must have felt. And he apparently just would say, you know, I can't say no to her. Right. I think at the very least, because I fully believe Bethany and these other people, I don't think they knew the actual gruesome details, obviously. I think at the very least they knew, you know what, this guy's a little bit shady. Yeah. And that he's so high up that I think he can get away with it in a way, which is not good, but they were almost letting it slide. Like Bethany is making like, yeah, he owed Dennis half a million dollars and they were sort of like, what are we going to do? It's crazy. Well, that's the thing. He was like kind of untouchable, which obviously is so problematic, but not uncommon at all. That's what happens in these situations. No. And Bethany said, as soon as Erica came on, she could tell because of how much she spoke about the money that that sometimes is an indication of you don't really have it, which I find to be true also, but that she would say to Andy and some of the other house, I was like, oh, Dennis knows him from the industry. And like, you know, this is not all it's cracked up to be. It's wild. It it's is really wild. Yeah, it is so wild. I don't know. God, Erica, it is a bad situation. Well, this is what happens when scandals like this come out. Everyone comes out with their version of the story and what they've been seeing for all these years. So to hear from Bethany, who just doesn't make shit up and not only heard it from Dennis, but experienced it for herself when she was watching Dennis say to other lawyers like, oh, you know, Tom Girardi's wife is now a real housewife and she spends this much on her makeup. Like, And to see the reactions of the other lawyers with, with her own eyes, I think was probably like, holy shit. It just took a long time to get out. 
totally. I don't even think we said this, by the way, when we were talking about Salt Lake City. Did you see when Heather was on Watch What Happens and she basically said to Andy, like, I didn't know that this stuff was going down, but I definitely had a feeling that Jen's business ventures were like unsavory because I couldn't understand how the two things were matching up, what she said she did and then the money she was spending. So it's different, but it's kind of similar in terms of like, Hers was more, I had a feeling, whereas Bethany's was like, this was a known thing within the legal community, but also similar vibe. I can't believe we forgot to bring that up. Yes. Heather was saying also that she had Jen on her podcast and really wanted to break down like her business because I think her podcast focuses a lot on women in business and entrepreneurs and that Jen just couldn't give her a straight answer and couldn't explain it. And she sort of was like, okay, maybe I'm just not understanding, but that wasn't the case at all. And she sort of knew there was something very fishy going on, but obviously not so illegal. Oh no. Well, it's funny because when she's like on Watch What Happens and this is not unique to her, but it's like they want to say, yeah, I had a feeling without incriminating themselves and saying they knew something that they weren't supposed to know. So it was kind of funny. You watched Heather's body language change when she realized that she almost made it out like she knew something was going on. Yeah. And I don't think she knew something was going on. I just think she knew... Jen was embellishing what kind of business she was running, which is very on brand for Jen in general, but never that it was illegal. I just think having a big office and saying, oh, so much going on was just on track with the other kind of things about her lifestyle that she would sort of fluff. Yeah. Because that's the thing with Jen. It's like very much a personality trait. Yes. It's so part of her personality. Which is, by the way, same with Tom. If you hear the way that people say that he interacted with not only you know his clients who then became his victims, but also other people in the legal world, kind of like, you know, I got this, you know, I got this, like putting on this real show of protectiveness that just didn't exist. Yes. Anyway. So getting into the actual episode, obviously we start out at Kathy Hilton's house. And it's funny because somebody messaged us saying like, I think that if Kathy Hilton introduces you by saying you are the best in the business, that is the highest compliment. And I was thinking the same thing when I watched her introduce this facialist. Oh, that facialist should just clip that, put it on her Instagram, and she'll never have to do another outreach again. Yeah, no, that should be her bio, best yeah. in the business, hyphen Kathy Hilton. <laughs> Talk Now, how's that for a Yelp review? <laughs> okay, so obviously Erica and Kyle are off to the side, and this is when... Erica starts to tell this very convoluted story about the house getting burglarized and Tom fighting the burglar and her son going over there to check and there being snow. And, you know, you can see Kyle's face, just the sheer confusion trying to follow this. I mean, I was making the exact same face watching this. I I don't even know where to begin with this. Well, when Lisa was on Watch What Happens and they were asking her, like, do you believe it? And she said, you know, I believe it because I got the phone call when it happened. And so it seems really hard to believe. You know, I would say that the majority of the internet does not believe her. It does seem pretty non feasible. <laughs> then again, who the fuck knows? I guess anything's possible technically. It's just her delivery. It makes it just even more like, what the hell? What are you saying? Like, you just said that in all one long run on sentence. Like, wait, back up. But also, just the chain of events to all happen in one night. And to me, the thing that makes it the most unbelievable is the again with the car flipping. It's like 
Tom just had that car flipping accident however many months before, and then her son did, who's a police officer, and he was driving through the snow in California. It's just – it's so many bullet points to process in one night and one story. My immediate thought was those photos of Tom where he's a black guy. Like maybe those are related in some way. I know the timeline is different. That wasn't like from the fight, but something about his eye and eye surgery, like could that be connected? I I don't know. For me, it's kind of like, I don't know. Everybody likes to approach this differently. I don't find it fun or like I personally don't get enjoyment out of like going back and trying to check, fact check all of the details. For me, I think that I derive the most interest from just examining her delivery. And you know, it's kind of like she shoots herself in the foot because from now on, anything that she says going forward, I'm going to believe less based on like (laughs) the eternal sense of inauthenticity that she has conveyed. But to me, it's just like, I felt as though she was saying it in a way specifically for dramatic effect. Like she was purposely being pretty monotone and, you know, making it this continuous run on sentence as a way to like, show how overwhelmed she was. It just, I don't know. It just felt so fake. It felt fake and also just, yeah, like her energy is just so off and she's trying to make it seem like, yeah, so like I'm having a hard week. This is what's going on. And it's, you're never going to get sympathy for people and or make it more believable with that kind of delivery. Like you're talking to someone who you've been friends with for so long. And of course, you know, this information is going to be like, jarring for her to hear. So I I don't know what what kind of delivery. I just it just all was really weird to me, I think. Yeah, the whole thing was kind of off to me. I know some people really do believe it. I don't really know where I stand. It seems I agree with Kyle. It sounds so unbelievable, but I guess there's a world in which it is true. Do you think there's partial truth to any of it? I think that with everything she says there's a little bit of partial truth. Yeah, I don't think she necessarily comes up with things out of thin air. I think she's just a professional embellisher. That's what I think too, but then when I was going through the story, I couldn't pick out what part I thought was actually the most believable. Like each thing kind of gets more and more sounding like it's made up as the story goes along. I just think she wants sympathy, but there's also a whole operation going on behind the scenes where a story like this has to happen or something with the lawyers where it's adding to a narrative that is a bigger picture. Totally. I mean, that's the thing. She's conscious throughout, which we'll get into a little bit later on because I know after last week, you know, we had some people, like some lawyers messaging us like with super thoughtful, you know, insight basically saying like in certain states, pretty much even acknowledgement of like victims or any sort of apology can be deemed like a confession kind of thing, not mm-hmm. that exact language. So she has to be very careful with what she says, which I like fully get. I think it's for me, I don't even view it as like scientific as that. I'm just saying energetically, it's hard to get on board with somebody who is just so cold, but you know, maybe that's just her personality. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I guess so. Yeah. Okay, before we get into Kyle and Kyle and Crystal, I just want to mention that I love this plot line of Garcelle and the matchmaker. <laughs> and setting up her Bumble profile is so good. That's like one of my favorite things across the board. Any franchise, any show, I love, even when Sony was doing it with Ebony. There's an old episode of New York where Sonia is setting up her profile on The League, which is, I don't know if it's like a well-known dating app, but 
in New York it definitely is. And I think she auto-filled her information from Wikipedia. So she had 500 bullet points of every job and any hobby that she had. And Bethany was looking through it. And that is like one of the bigger laughs I've ever had watching Housewives. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when Kyle is at Crystal's and she's showing her, by the way, this insane basement, like that was, if you're a kid, imagine when her kids get a little bit older and they're like 16 in high school, they have their friends over. That's the ideal setup. Yeah. This was interesting because remember last week when we were talking about the conversation between Garcelle and Lisa and Garcelle was saying that she feels like her Crystal and Sutton are kind of on the outskirts of the group. And we were saying, I wonder if Crystal and Sutton would say the same, that here in this scene, Crystal basically answered that question directly and saying that like she personally doesn't feel that way. Yes. And what I think the big kind of debate has been is you can, as an outsider, say, I don't think she feel she should feel excluded. You know, she's invited to everything and we include her in everything, but it's still how she feels. We'll get into this later, but I don't know. It just feels like it's not anyone else's judgment to make when that is how she's expressing how she feels, even though she's technically invited to everything. Right. But I'm saying that with it's so different. Like there's two separate things happening here. Cause Garcelle, even if everybody doesn't feel like they're outwardly excluding her, like if she feels that way, then that's a valid thought. However, same thing, like nobody else can say whether she actually is excluded. Like she can't speak for Crystal. And so Crystal saying, I don't feel that way. So that just proves that with that particular situation, it was more of Garcelle's perception of Crystal being an outsider than Crystal actually felt. Yeah. Okay. When Dorit and PK come over to Kyle and Mauricio's, I want to preface the scene by saying, you remember a few weeks ago when there was that intimate lunch at Crystal's house and they were talking about Sutton. And it was this kind of very snooty conversation about saying, you know, they didn't really know her name before. And we were saying on one hand, it was kind of like elitist and kind of gross in the way they were talking at the same time though, we appreciated it because that was a real conversation that like we were surprised they had on camera, but that's exactly what they would have been saying off camera. Remember that? Yeah. That's how I felt about this dinner. Exactly how I felt about this dinner. Like this was something where if Dorit and Kyle were alone, they would have never gone there. But PK kind of just said, fuck the cameras. And th- this was their real dinner party. Yes. I truly felt like I was a fly on the wall at a real actual dinner because they are very close as couples. So they're willing to go there. It's not sort of a stiff situation where they're walking on eggshells afraid of what they'll say to each other. They're genuinely friends. And I think there's a level of respect and kind of love that transcends the show. So I was so glad that we got to watch this. And I think this is what happens though, is when they really do go there and we watch conversations that I think we would all probably have in real life, it can be taken in a certain way. Like Erica tweeted a response like, oh, this was really fun to watch. Right. Which like, by the way, even though as a viewer, I did love watching it. If this wasn't house size and this was just a normal friend group, which it kind of is, like you would never want the person you're talking about to see it. It's a very abnormal situation where you'd be laughing with your friends like this and then that would be recorded for the person. Like I understand we can say what we want about Erica and not really have that much sympathy for certain parts of what she's going through. Like that still does suck to watch. I I understand where she's coming from, of course, but it was just like, they made the decision in the moment of like, we're going to have this conversation and remove the thought of Erica ever watching this. And you could tell that Dorit and Kyle were both like, holy shit. They, I think, were afraid knowing that the cameras were rolling because, yeah, I mean, think about when you're with like your closest friends. If you talk about someone else, even if you're not meaning to talk shit about them, but you're just 
discussing them and laughing about certain things, watching that back and having it on television is not an easy situation. But like you said, on the flip side, for us as viewers to actually see what's going on, I mean, how many times have you and I said this season, I wish we could see Rinna calling Kyle off camera and really listening to what they are talking about when they know the cameras aren't rolling and they're really finding out things in real time. What does that conversation look like? And to me, this felt like the closest, one of the closest things we've gotten so far. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did not expect this to happen, to be honest with you. I was I was kind of blown away, actually. And again, you got to thank PK. Well, that's the thing. We, I feel like in the past, we have definitely not been his biggest fan. And he is really redeeming himself these past few episodes because all we want is for people to be straight shooters. And like, I really like Dorit, but that's definitely not one of the characteristics that I would list in terms of her best attributes. And so I feel like what PK does with Dorit is he kind of just like, he cuts the bullshit, you know? Yeah, yes. He totally cuts the bullshit. He cuts her bullshit and she knows it. And I think she would say that's why we balance each other out so well. But PK from the beginning of Erica on the show had a lot of differences with her. You know, they went back and forth a lot, specifically the whole Pantygate thing, but then again, it escalated. And at Lisa Vanderpump's rose party at her house, they had a real confrontation. So I think he's always kind of had a bad taste in his mouth about her. And we can't forget that in all of this, that he probably is getting a little enjoyment out of her being sort of the butt of the joke. However, everything he's saying, I feel, is valid. And we just have to appreciate that PK is a good gossip. I wouldn't necessarily want to be married to him, but I would love to be at a dinner party with him and talk shit and hear what he has to say because he really is saying it like it is. He really is saying it like it is. Although, do you think that they were pissed? Like, Do you think Kyle and Dorit were pissed? Um, I think they were probably like, oh, fuck, you're going to go there. You aren't on the show. We are like, we know how this goes. So he kind of like came in and really stirred it up. And I think Kyle was sort of looking at Mauricio like, please don't say anything bad. Please don't say anything bad. Not that he would, but just not to fall into like, oh, forgetting the cameras are there. Like, this is real life. What would you say to him without the cameras there? She knew that they would be held accountable for whatever went down at this dinner. Totally, totally. I I also will want two things. First, Mauricio was definitely stoned, which is one of the reasons that he was like just dying. Not that he wouldn't have been, but you know. Imagine hearing that story like so high and you think you're just having a nice dinner with your really good friends and this is what you guys, you hear, trying to process that story sober was hard enough. Well, but also it coming out of Dorit's mouth, always just makes it inherently funnier because she anything she presents you kind of are are taking it in as a like is this true like what what's she really getting at she has this way of like dramatizing everything kind of yeah. so all, already it was just like funnier from Dorit but you know listen the truth of the matter here was that the most important point that PK made was like he believes that Erica is still being controlled. And that was really the point he was trying to hammer home. And the rest of it was kind of more so for comedic effect. But the true anchor of what he was saying is that he does believe Erica is still in a controlling marriage. Well, that was an interesting angle for him to take because he wasn't saying, I just think, you know, I think she's lying about all of this and making all this shit up. He was saying there's way more to the story here. And she was in a controlling marriage and she's still being controlled. And everything that she's saying and telling you guys is coming from somebody. I don't, a higher up, I guess. 
The one other conversation that I was happy they had here, because this is the conversation that Dorit and PK had alone, was just the Instagram aesthetic of it. And this is when Mauricio was saying like, yeah, Kyle showed me some stuff and I agreed. So it just goes to show everybody individually, like I would bet you even Lisa and Harry had this conversation in their house about the Instagram because on Watch What Happens, remember Lisa said like, when this started to go down, I saw some of what Erica was posting. I suggested that she basically hire like a crisis management team to assist with social. She wasn't interested in it. And that was it. She was like, and then I didn't say anything again. So it was clearly a conversation that was running rampant, not only through the housewives, but I bet through other people in Beverly Hills that were aware of what was going on. The opinion that Erica was not doing great on social media, I think is pretty universal. Like everyone seems to agree on that. And also Erica tweeted last night, crisis management team, what a waste of money. Like she's really going for it here. And I think people would also agree that her Twitter presence is as bad, if not worse than the Instagrams. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. I understand that, you know, she potentially is probably looking at this from the lens of like, I don't want to just lie down and, you know, I have to still assert a sense of dominance or like, I still need to show that I'm not going down with this ship. And I, I don't know exactly what's going on in her mind. I think it's just like, the complete and utter lack of any sort of humility is just hard to get behind. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. This wedding dress launch. Beautiful party. Beautiful party. I I think Dorit, you know, I loved, I'm sure I was thinking when I was watching this that she probably would have loved the editing job that they did is when she's talking about these phenomenal affairs that she's thrown, how they flash back. Because oftentimes a housewife will say something like that. That's like a compliment to themselves and the editors will really fuck them in the process and like show all the times that it went poorly. So mm-hmm. the editors really kind of did her a favor because they basically gave us a visual reel for what she was talking about. I love a visual reel. There are a few things we love more than a visual reel. It gives me so much joy. Also Kathy arriving with the architect. Oh my God. She's like, I thought you'd like the architecture of this house. Like that's how she brought him to the party. <laughs> <laughs> There wasn't much Erica stuff going on here other than like that weird kind of underlying knowledge that like PK Mauricio, Dorit, and Kyle all had of like, we know it went down, you know? When PK turned to Kyle at the dinner was like, you want to tell Erica what we were saying the other day? Like the whole laughing about the ankle versus the brain thing, I think was like the main takeaway from the dinner, which was funny, you know, it was funny. But the fear in Kyle's eyes of like, PK, you're not going to say anything, right? Well, because- it's one thing she can control Mauricio. Like, you know, your dynamic with your husband. You don't know how rogue your friend's husband's going to go, especially when it's at his house. So Kyle was like, I am not going to go down with this ship. No, she was like, PK, you better fucking not. And I think it wouldn't be so off brand for PK to say to Erica, like, I heard about Tom. Wow, what a crazy story. I can't believe he chose his ankle over his brain and really try and stir the pot. I don't think he would do that at Dorit's party. He has too much respect for her, like, business and whatever, but you know, it wouldn't be the craziest thing. Uh, it's completely. So, I mean, the real like confrontation here is just when Kyle is saying to Garcelle, you had everyone up in arms today. You made a little comment that went everywhere. And this is when she's basically talking about on Ellen, when Garcelle says, they're coming for me. Let me just say that they're coming for me, but I'm ready. And Dorit without skipping a beat gets herself right back into it. What I liked most about this was to show how the press and the comments that they make while recording the show actually do affect them. Like it gets to them. Like when a comment or something goes viral, it infiltrates the group. It does infiltrate the group. Although I was surprised that 
this particular comment did because I feel like this was a, a relatively like a throwaway comment. Think about how many times people have said that in the press circuit, like, oh yeah, these women, they're really coming for me or yeah, they're vicious. Like, I don't know. People say shit all, like that all the time. Yeah, you're kind of right. It was like not that big of a deal. I feel like people say much worse things. And I think Rinna and Erica and everyone put stuff up on their story that's more incriminating. But maybe because of the way things were going down in real time, they felt like, Garcelle, like, I thought we moved past this. What's going on? And to say it on Ellen, it's not like they're just tweeting it or saying it to a smaller blog or a podcast. Like, this is Ellen. Look at the way that Kyle and Irene handled this because Kyle brings it up kind of jokingly, you know, saying like, oh, this comment made waves. And immediately Dorit has to personalize it. It's like, here's what it is for me. In general, I really enjoy Dorit's presence, except for I feel like she loses all normal function when interacting with Garcelle. And she just becomes like the most unenjoyable version of herself because she's just so on the defense. And I feel like she does it as a way to make Garcelle look worse, but I think it makes her look worse. Right. I think in her mind, it's she's calling out Garcelle on the things that she does wrong, but it just makes her look bad. And it's like, nobody understands the reason. Well, when she's saying like, you know, I thought we moved past our issues and Garcelle, I thought made a really good point of like, am I not allowed to have my own opinion? Like if my opinion doesn't align with what you think, then automatically I'm not allowed. And it's, it was kind of true. <laughs> like you can't tell somebody else how they're supposed to feel. Yes. And even though you technically move on, she still can retreat back to feelings or feel a new way. It's like, you know, just because you checked off the box, it doesn't mean she's a cured person from everything that went down in the past. Also, by the way, like the reason that I think it's so applicable to Dorit specifically is because one of the top things that I think has been actual points of contention this season is the Palm Springs issue when Dorit continually kept coming for Garcelle about how wrong that was as if she intentionally did it. Like, I think that that really rubbed Garcelle the wrong way. And to me, housewives aside, that's the thing that would rub me the most wrong if somebody that I knew was like, continuously asserting that an action I did was malicious when I kept saying that it was innocent, like I would end up getting really pissed. And so out of anybody, I feel like Dorit has the littlest ability to tell Garcelle that she's being overdramatic. Well, it wasn't even that she was saying, oh, I didn't do it maliciously. She was saying, this is factually not true. And and Crystal was backing that up too. We, even as the viewers, were so frustrated and annoyed with Dorit, like, stop bringing this up. We know that this is like fake news. So it, your point, as many times as you say it, it doesn't make it believable. Exactly. And by the way, this is a little bit different than I was saying a few seconds ago, but just in terms of potentially the worst parts of Dorit coming out when she goes head to head with Garcelle, the line about, you know, I speak four languages and this makes sense in none of them. It's like... Get out of here. How long were you thinking of that one? Exactly. You want to know what it was? It was very similar to when Wendy and Mia had the confrontation in the massage parlor. And Wendy goes on this whole thing about like TikTok Mia. And it was like, okay, this is just very performative. Yeah. (laughs) I can't. I mean, nothing else really crazy goes on here. It kind of ends with that last conversation between Garcelle and Dorit, where Garcelle says exactly what you and I were saying last week or a few weeks ago of like, okay, Dorit wants her to give it to her 100. She will, but can she? Because all the times Dorit thought these things were jabs, it really was more so Garcelle trying to deliver it gently as not to like offend. So it's like, okay, you want that? Let me give it to you. Right. 
It's so true. It's just, it all is really crazy. In terms of the reunion, I loved watching Rena and Andy talk about it on Watch What Happens because they both, I mean, continually say that Erica gets into the nitty gritty. Andy said that Erica answered 98% of her questions that she was given, which is an amazing statistic, and that she says things that we haven't heard before. So personally, that's all I could ask for, and I'm sure they'll get into a lot of other things. I heard somewhere else that Rinna and Garcelle have like a makeup moment, but let me tell you, I'm excited. I am so excited. I also really trust Andy to not be overdramatic in his recounting. I'll put it like this. It's the anti-Chris Harrison effect. You know, It's like not everything is the dr- most dramatic ever. I think he only says that when it really is. So I don't think he would say Erica's answering everything if she wasn't. Yes. He would definitely not say that. And he knows we're going to watch it and hold him accountable for that. So I can't wait to see what kind of questions they ask because a lot of them come from the viewers too. And I think the viewers are really smart and savvy. I mean, even some of the questions we get. So I think we're going to get some good answers. Yeah, I cannot wait. Anything else that you want to mention? I think that's it. What a crazy week. Crazy week. Okay, well, we love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. And Julie and I will see you on Monday for our regular episode. Thank you for listening and letting us do this. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like, You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.